Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, good morning. We are so happy to be here this morning. Get ready to rock and roll with our next guest, Sean David Morton. He'll be talking about us uh, about the upcoming events, like the comet coming so close to the Earth and what that can do to to us. You are listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. In the past, Sean David Morton has shared stunning, accurate predictions of future events in his books, lectures, and live on air, as well with the kings of radio on Coast to Coast, Art Bell and George Norrie. He literally lives on the edge Indeed, this seems to be the way of life with a gifted psychic coupled with his remote viewing capabilities as well. Sean also emphasizes that the things he sees in the future do not necessarily have to happen. They simply seem to be a warning for mankind to grow to a higher spirituality. If this happens, he believes many prophecies can be averted. And perhaps one's karma can also even be transmuted ahead of time. Oh, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) Well, Sean David Morton first came to national attention with his investigations into Area 51 and his accurate predictions regarding the 1989 San Francisco earthquake. He later went on to successfully predict the 92 Landers, the 94 Northridge, and the 95 Kobe Japan earthquakes. And he recently has predicted the he predicted before the earthquake on the East Coast. In order to get his amazingly accurate predictions out to the world, Sean formed the Prophecy Research Institute in 1992. In the early 1980s, Sean and Dr. Elizabeth Targ pioneered many of the current techniques used in remote viewing today. Sean is a skilled and experienced remote viewer and has taught remote viewing in seminars all over the world. He has been a freelance writer, producer, investigative reporter, on television programs such as Sightings, Strange Universe, and Hard Copy. Sean is an independent feature film writer, director, and author. Whoa, you've done a lot in your life, Sean. Welcome to the show. Hey, Taz. Hi, Paula. How are you? Great. (laughs) Good morning. How are you? What a joy. What a delight. Paula, blessings to you. Taz, all I have to say is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're you're the same as normal. You oh normally yeah, are. yeah we're, you haven't we're changed half a bit. normal. Of course, that's the brain they stuck in the Abby normal brain. I don't know how that how that works. So how are you ladies a, today? Fine. I have a cat it, named Abby Normal. What's that? I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a cat. 
Her name is Abby Normal. Abby Normal. <laughs> well, that's a good name for a cat because they're all cats are all pretty strange. My my house is constantly booby trapped. I, mean, I have a stud male cat in my house, and it's it's uh, it's either booby trapped, poopy trapped, or uh, or piddle trapped. I'm not sure which. It's just uh, always cleaning stuff up. Um, so what are we going to talk about today? You want to talk about this comet that's coming at us? That's uh, yeah. a lot of predictions and a lot of things. You want to just rock yeah, and roll absolutely. with this? Yeah, rock and roll there. All right. Well, here's here's where it gets here's where it gets really weird. So let me just launch into this and and just please interrupt me anytime you like, because monologues are dictatorial and ultimately fascist and lead to uh, Republican administrations. Um, so uh, um, this comet that I've been talking about for months now uh, is called Comet Elenin, and it was uh, it was discovered by a guy named Leonid Elenin. Uh, and the Russians, there's been some very strange things about this. There have been rumors that the Russians have said that this is a controlled object. Uh, there, uh, there has been no, NASA has never given us straight answers as to what the heck this comet is. Of course, that's what NASA stands for, is never a straight answer. Um, <laughs> they, they are, they, they're varying about how close it's going to get to the Earth, whether or not the comet has a tail, uh, whether or not the comet is, how big the comet is. Some have said, well, usually comets are about six miles across. So there's all this speculation out there on the web and the net as to what this heck this thing is. Uh, and Richard Hoagland, actually on his, on his Facebook page, recently put up a, a, a NASA photo, because Richard's really good at this, doing composites of these photos. And, again, you will see that what we're – here's the strange thing about this is this comet, Elenin, which some people say stands for Extinction Level Event Nibiru in November, which I think is actually a very <laughs> funny acronym for this, uh, that there's some people claiming that this is like the tenth planet and uh, or the twelfth planet, depending on which Zachariah Sitchin book you read. But uh, Hoagland has this picture up on his website that basically shows that Elenin is a triangular object. It literally looks like a like a top secret U.S. spacecraft of some kind. The thing is a triangle with a glowing center of it, and there's no tail that I can see, and yet there's and yet it's supposed to have a tail that's supposedly 240,000 miles long. And every time this comet has reached what we call a square or a 90-degree angle, and of course you have a lot of people that are, know about astrology, but when this thing reaches a square or a 90-degree angle with the Earth, there has been a major natural catastrophe on the planet. I mean, major, major. We're talking Earth-changing, Earth-shattering catastrophes on the planet. And I also think that these earthquakes that we're seeing are somehow being either tapped, exacerbated, or controlled using certain levels of very, very high-level uh, technology that has to do with the Heart Project in Alaska, uh, what's called Eisencat out of, out of Norway, which is their version of the Heart Project, or what's called the uh, High Altitude Ionospheric Project in Russia, which are all these various things that can actually alter the weather and alter the electromagnetic fields of the planet. So... My first hypothesis is that it appears as though that many of the doomsday prophecies that, that I have been talking about for 20-plus years since I started doing this, that I have been saying the three things that they are the most worried about are a massive solar cycle, which they call cycle 24, and that the sun basically going crazy and, and losing its, you know, its little gaseous mind between 2012 and about 2016, and what scientists have been calling the largest solar cycle in 14,000 years. Uh, number two has been the steady march of the electromagnetic north pole of the planet to the actual uh, axis north pole, in other words, the geographic north pole of the planet, 
where Santa Claus's house is. So the um, the idea is, is that after 1945, when they actually studied the electromagnetic fields of the Earth to open up the North Pole to commercial airline travel, um, one of the things they noticed is, is that the electromagnetic North, which had been perfectly fat and happy sitting where it was since 1832, when it was first discovered actually, now began to do what they called polar wander or polar drift. And the theory was that all these military scientists got together and they said, hokey smokes, by 2012, and this is a report from 1947, they were saying that by 2012, 2014, if true north and magnetic north meet, we will possibly go through a polar flip or a polar shift of some kind, and which would probably be, which would basically wreck your whole day. And the idea was is that they believed that because there was so much atomic testing on the planet of not just not just atomic bombs, but hydrogen bombs, cobalt bombs, uh, and I think the United States has dropped something like 1,700 bombs just on Nevada as an example, that it has actually knocked the Earth slightly off kilter, sort of like throwing a like throwing a tennis shoe into a washing machine, if you will. And that so the Earth, the polar wobble, was actually being exacerbated, which is, then, uh, which is then responsible for the North Pole actually wandering north. The third one is a series of, of shattering Earth changes. And the ones that they were, of course, most worried about were the ones in the United States. And you could actually look at the four horsemen of the American apocalypse, which would be the San Andreas Fault in California, uh, Mount Rainier, which the weak side of Mount Rainier is a volcano, actually faces, uh, faces the city of Seattle, uh, the Yellowstone caldera, which is which is due to erupt like every 600,000 years, and it's been like 630,000 years, I think, so it's long overdue, and the New Madrid Fault, which runs approximately along the Mississippi through the center part of the United States. And it is interesting that there's been all kinds of government activity around the New Madrid Fault, because this is the 100-year anniversary, the centennial, of when the New Madrid Fault ruptured uh, in December of 1811, and then again in February of 1812. So FEMA has started all these exercises across the New Madrid Fault and all these crazy things uh, along the New Madrid Fault. So let's get back to Elenin. So this comet now, coming towards us, every time it makes a 90-degree angle to the planet, we have had these, uh, and, and again, it's either been on the exact day that it's actually achieved the square of the planet, or it's been within five days, plus or minus, uh, the actual date. In other words, either five days before or five days after. So it's within that 10-day window that you have basically effects on the Earth. Another thing that comets do is that when they come through the solar system, somehow they seem to interact with the sun. Uh, I think there's a whole theory about, about what they call torsion fields and spinning objects interacting with each other, et cetera, et cetera. But they literally act like kites in a lightning storm. It's almost as like they get the sun all excited somehow. And, and all of these comets that have come through, there have always been... Uh, very active solar cycles. There's been a lot of coronal mass ejections. A lot of the sun starts doing really crazy things. It's like it gets all happy and excited that it's got like a guest in the solar system, if you will. <laughs> so you know it's kind of funny. But um, so here we go. So the first time on the day that it hits the 90 degree angle, we have an 8.8 earthquake in Chile, a shattering earthquake along the South American plate, actually what's called the Nazca plate in Chile. The next time it comes to the 90 degree angle on the day dead on the day, was the 7.2 earthquake in Christchurch, New Zealand. Now, people like myself that have been noticing this started warning people that the next 90-degree angle was going to be March 15th of this year. And there were all kinds of people on the net who were completely being 
just mocked and crucified by, of course, you know, legitimate science that says, well, this comet couldn't possibly have any effect on the Earth and it can't do anything, you know, particularly bad to us. And yet, on, and actually, this is where it gets interesting. March 9th is when the earthquake in Japan really began because the first earthquake in Japan was a 6.4. The next one, the next day on the, on the 10th, was a 7.2, and then on March 11th was the 9.0 that everybody heard about, because they have earthquakes in Japan all the time. At the same time, you can actually track the Heart Project out of Alaska, and you can actually do the readings from the University of Alaska, and you can lay them out on a seismic chart of the of the Japanese earthquake, and you'll see that they actually they actually lay out perfectly on each other. It's like it's like you know it's like two kids scribbling with the exact same pencil, just up and down. So one way or another, the Heart Project either exacerbated this quake or controlled it in a certain way for it to do what it does. Now, interestingly enough, on March 9th, Dr. Carl Kalaman, who's who I've been a huge fan of and a proponent of ever since I first started reading his books back in 2004, has been saying that his view of the Mayan calendar, which is now falling into place with a number of different experts, when the Mayan calendar reaches 13, 13, 13, 13, 13, 13, 13, ahu, is actually on October 28th of 2011. That that's when he says is the true ending of the calendar. Now, I agree and I disagree because October 28th is going to be a big day, but there's certain major astronomical alignments that were also very important to the Mayans that are then leading up to December 21st of 2012. You've got two major eclipses. You've got the Venus transit, which is coming in June of 2012, which was more important to the Mayans than the end date of their calendar. You've got even a um, uh, you've got a king, uh, a Mayan king named uh, Copalan, who vanishes or disappears. We, nobody's ever been able to find his tomb, and they just believed, and there was a whole big special that was done about this on the Discovery Channel called Apocalypse Island, where they believe that they've actually found the tomb of, Co- of, of, uh, of Coco Palan uh, on an island called San Juan, uh, hopefully I'm getting this right, San Juan de Frisco Island, which is kind of on your way to Easter Island uh, off the coast of Chile, that they've actually found his tomb. And it's interesting because this island is the only place on Earth where you can actually view not only the Venus transit of uh, June 8th of 2012, but the final solar eclipse of November 13th of 2012, which is the last solar eclipse that occurs before the December 21st alignment date. And it was believed by this king that if, if his grave or his monument, if you will, his spirit could witness these two events before the end of time, that he would come back as a lord of time, which I thought was you know, kind of interesting that he... You know, maybe he's got a TARDIS or something. Maybe he thinks he's Doctor Who or whatever. But it's just interesting <laughs> that these lords of time believe they will return after 2012. So all these people were talking about how there was going to be a polar shift, how there was going to be an earth-shattering earthquake, how all these terrible things were going to happen on March 15th. They were universally mocked. And then lo and behold, here's Carl Kalman who comes along, and we had a huge boat cruise to Mexico where he talked about on March 9th, it was going to be the beginning of the last and final wave, the ninth wave of the universal underworld of the calendar. And the way the calendar works is that these long periods of time, going all the way back to like 16.4 billion years, which is when they believed the universe was created, are divided into kind of a, a, a vacation package of, uh, of, uh, of, seven, of seven wonderful days and six exotic nights of, uh, of this. So it's a, it's a seven-day, six-night calendar that divides all this up. So we entered the 
galactic the galactic calendar in January of 1999. So now we've gone through the galactic week, and now we're in the universal week, which began on March 9th. And on that day was when the Japanese earthquake began. So we're going through now these 18-day cycles, which between from March March 9th to of 2011 to to October 28th, we're seeing a microcosm of world history. Everything is speeding up. Everything is going quicker and faster, stronger, harder in this condensed period of time. Now, this comet, Elenin, not only – and let me tell you some weird things about this comet. Number one, the Russians seem to think that it's artificial, that it's some kind of controlled object. Uh, And there's all kinds of information about that that seems to think that this is some kind of weird object out there, and that's been going on for months. Number two, Richard Hoagland – who is fantastic at this kind of research, puts up this photo of the comet where it doesn't have a tail, and it looks like a triangular object, and it's got four points, three, you know, one, two, three, and then a, what looks like a power source, if you will, in the center with no tail on the comet. This comet last came around about 10,000 years ago, uh, and, of course, some very bad things happened 10,000 years ago. That's theoretically around when Atlantis sank. It's theoretically around when... Uh, uh, many people believe that the, uh, the the Great Pyramids may have been built. Uh, the comet also is on the same ecliptic as all the other planets in the solar system, which means it's moving exactly like a planet. All the planets in the solar system all rotate along the same line, on the, along like a, like marbles on a plate, if you will. All these comets that have come in recently, like Hale-Bopp and uh, Hayakataki, uh, they come in at all these weird kind of cattywampus angles. They come in from the top. They come in from the bottom. Not this one. This one's coming along at the same on the same orbital frequency as all the other planets, as Mars, as Venus, as as, as Mercury. And so that's why when it achieves these 90 degree angles to the Earth, it, it's having these these major effects. So March 15th, it achieves the 90 degree angle within five days. Obviously, March 11th was the Japanese earthquake. Which guess what? There was a polar shift. The pole actually shifted by about six and a half inches. Uh, there was a, a continental shift where the island of Japan moved about 20 feet closer to the United States. Uh, you know, there's all these really ter- horrible things that occurred at that time. But what it had the effect of doing as well is that all the major pressure for a major, major earthquake in the United States was building on the Cascadia Fault Line, which is directly off the Pacific Northwest. In other words, it runs from... Victoria Island, the chain of islands actually off the coast of uh, uh, off the coast of Canada, the western coast of Canada, Vancouver, which is all those islands up there, all used to be connected to Canada about 17,000 years ago, and that that fault line then runs down to the top of the San Andreas fault line, which is about 150 miles off the coast of uh, Eureka, California, and um, of interest, and I'm not saying, and once again, this is per- my personal theory. I'm thinking if, these, if there are people out there who can manipulate these kind of changes, if there are people with the technology to affect the gravitational frequency of the planet, that there is a good possibility that they use the Heart Project specifically to exacerbate and make worse the Japanese quake to relieve pressure on the Cascadia fault line with a choice being made, okay, do we trigger this quake in Japan where we lose maybe 20,000 people in an agricultural area, uh, or do we trigger, or, or will there, do we take the chance of an earthquake happening in the Pacific Northwest, um, where we lose, on the one hand, a billion-dollar economy as a, a multi-billion-dollar economy as opposed to a multi-trillion-dollar economy, and lose, oh, Vancouver, Seattle, uh, Portland, Eugene, uh, and possibly San Francisco. And it is interesting to me that 
that this comet at the same time is creating these angles. Now, here's where it gets kind of scary. This comet is now forming, and, and this is going to be some very weird things, because the comet is now forming these angles at the same time you have new moons and full moons on certain on the ending points and beginning points of the uh, of of the Mayan calendar, and one of the things that I of the final Mayan calendar, and one of the things that I was telling people when I was predicting, and I was trying to get all over the place and you know trying to talk about it everywhere, was that within five days of the beginning of what was called the fifth night, which was August 18th, that within five days plus or minus, uh, which means we had until August 23rd that there was going to be a, a fairly major earthquake somewhere somewhere west of the, somewhere east of the Mississippi River and that this earthquake was going to be somewhere on the east coast and that if I was them thinking what I call, you know, scumbag logic, if I was them, I would be thinking about how what would I do to relieve pressure on the New Madrid fault line because if the New Madrid fault goes, you can kiss the United States goodbye. It would literally split the US. There would be a 100 mile wide the Mississippi River would become 100 miles wide. Every gas, every natural gas pipeline we have runs across the New Madrid Fault. It would create an explosion that you could see from the moon and basically end uh, most of life in the Midwest as we know it. It would basically end uh, 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 agricultural supremacy. Uh, you could forget about you know wheat, corn, all kinds of things that actually run across that fault line. So I think it is of interest that on the day that I predicted, or should I say at the, at the edge of my end date, which was August 23rd, you had this quake that actually came along the uh, uh, that started I think about 100 miles south of Richmond, Virginia. And actually, I was in New York when the quake actually happened. Everybody else put the quake at a 6.2, and I think the USGS uh, finally put the quake I think at a 5.8. Uh, but of interest, this quake, which ran from Richmond all the way up in through New York, which actually cracked the face of the Washington Monument, which I see as a metaphor for everything that's happening in the federal <laughs> government, you know, this fissure line, you know, running up the monument, running right through Washington, D.C. Um, and at the same time, there was a less, a less ballyhooed quake um, that happened in Colorado. So at the same time, you had this 5.8 to 6.2 running up this fault line, which once again was on the edge of the Appalachian Mountains, which is now these two platelets, which is the North American platelet is butting up against what's called the Appalachian platelet, and that's what formed the Appalachian Mountain Range. Now you have the Appalachian Mountain Range sort of sliding to the right or east, if you will, now that this, now that this earthquake has now relieved pressure on the New Madrid Fault. And on the other side of the North American plate in Colorado, you had another quake at approximately the same time, which was, uh, I don't know the exact magnitude of it, it was, I, it was around a six, it was... Uh, Plus or minus, I think, plus three, about a six or so. But both of these quakes actually relieved pressure again on the New Madrid Fault, which I find very interesting. Now, here's some interesting predictions coming up. Um, right now, uh, in the Mayan calendar, we're in what's called the fifth night of the calendar. And the fifth night, every time, and the fifth night ends uh, next – actually, oh, I'm sorry. No, okay, we're in the uh, – so we've gone through the fifth night, which was which is economic chaos – uh, political dissent, uh, bankruptcies, if you will. So it's very interesting that when the fifth night began, or the fifth day began, I'm sorry, in the beginning of August, all we were talking about was raising the debt ceiling and that Obama can't pay his bills on time and all of that. Now, the fifth night ended on Sunday. So on Labor Day, the sixth day began. And this is now, this is going to be about... Uh, fixing things, it's going to be about uh, presenting new ideas and new challenges, but now we're coming up on September 11th. 
the comet Elenin is going to be closest to the sun, and the full moon in Aries is on Monday, the 12th. Now, this is kind of interesting because the full moon in Aries with Elenin closest to the sun at that particular period of time, it's pointing towards a spiritual rebirth, that there's going to be an ending of a lot of different things. One of the things that we're going to have to watch out for, and once again, within five days of this date, so all the way through, say, the, the uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, through next week, and I wouldn't be surprised if it actually happened on Sunday, is the assassination or death of a major political leader uh, or a major spiritual leader of, of some kind. In other words, so many political leaders now are, uh, there's a cult of personality that's formed around them, like the, you know, the Rick Perrys, the Barack Obamas, you know, people that the, that the media irrationally lionizes for their own particular gains. And so watch Sunday, because the comet's going to be closest to the sun, which means that it's going to trigger a series of very, very major solar flares and coronal mass ejections at that particular time. And again, the new moon, the full moon in Aries is going to mean that, that, that Sunday, Monday, full moon in Aries exacerbated by the comet and that alignment means that you're going to have a massive, uh, uh, some sort of massive spiritual awakening and a, and a release of grief of some kind at the death of, once again, either a major political leader uh, or a, a, a spiritual leader. Now, going all the way through this, the sixth day ends on, um, uh, I'm sorry, the sixth, the, the sixth day ends on uh, September 22nd, and then the sixth night begins on September 23rd. Now, of interest, and this is where it gets really freaky, on September 26th, 27th, and 28th of this month, this comet, is going to be not only directly aligned with the Earth, but it will actually eclipse the Sun for a period of three days. In other words, late into the 26th, all day on the 27th, and then into the morning of the 28th. This comet, remember, it's traveling at the same speed as a planet with a 10,000-year rotational cycle with um, uh, on the same ecliptic as all the other planets in the solar system, now this thing is going to transit the sun, and you'll be able to see it. It will transit the sun for those three days. In other words, come between us and the sun. Now, depending on how big it is, and there's all these theories as to whether or not it's six miles across or 30,000 miles across. I mean, there's all kinds of just – nobody will give us a straight answer as to how big this darn thing is. And, but it's going to be eclipsing the sun, and, or should I say transiting the sun – and anything that comes between us and the sun, any time you have a planet or object transiting the sun, because the sun is not only the source of all life on Earth, but the sun is also the source of all electromagnetic frequencies. And whenever you have weird things going on with the sun, solar cycles, coronal mass ejections, solar flares, it directly affects the limbic system in the human brain. And the limbic system is what we would call the reptilian uh, fight or flight. All it thinks about is, can I, uh, can I kill it and eat it? Can I run away from it? Uh, or can I kill its boyfriend and have sex with it? That's all the limbic system actually thinks about. So it's this base kind of reptilian. It's the serpent in the garden, if you will, that separates the right and the left-hand sides of the brain, the male and the female. So Every single time you have something happening to the sun which affects the limbic system, it affects the global economic markets. And this is one of the ways I was so successful in predicting the, uh, uh, in, in making my predictions on the, um, in the stock market 
uh, way all the way through the 90s and you know all up through uh, you know all up through the beginning part of the 21st century, is that we actually had a Fibonacci wave spiral that could not only predict what the market was going to do, but could actually predict what the sun was going to do, because we were predicting the markets using the mathematics, and we were noticing that the markets were actually following the cycles of the sun. And the markets also follow, oddly enough, the lunar calendar or the Hebrew calendar because the markets usually rise when the moon is, is, is waxing and then they usually fall when the moon is waning. So on those three days, you're, and this is also dead center of the moon in Libra. So with the moon in Libra on the 27th with this transit across the sun, number one, you're looking at some probably some major natural catastrophe or earthquake activity. Number two, you're looking at, I think it's going to trigger the fear response, and you're going to be looking at a major collapse, probably of the United States stock market, as everybody starts looking at the economic numbers and the, and, you know, George Bush, who created this gigantic disaster, and Barack Obama, who's basically turned a disaster into a catastrophe and done nothing but drove the getaway car for the greatest you know, the, the greatest bank heist on earth, which, which George Bush orchestrated, and Obama's just driving the getaway car for the whole thing, um, because the fiscal year ends on October 1st, on that Saturday. And I think everybody's going to just lose their minds on that particular day. Now, it gets weirder, because then as you move into October, uh, Elenin is going to align um, with the sun, and that's going to be on, uh, that's, that's going to be, well, actually, the alignment's on the 26th, 27th, uh, 26th, 27th, and 28th when it actually lines up. Then as we move into October, on uh, Elenin is going to be closest to the Earth on October 17th, which means we're going to see another major quake. And I'll figure out where it's going to be uh, as to where the fault lines are, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and figure it out after that. And then the Mayan calendar ends on, according to Carl Kalman, again, on October 28th. And where I agree with Carl is that I think that the ending of the calendar represents the, – the Mayan calendar end date there represents the, uh, the conception of something new. In other words, the sperm hitting the egg, so to speak, something that begins the life force of a new thing with the representation of the December 21, 2012 alignment with the center of the galaxy being the birth of the new man because the, the, the sun aligns with the ball cord at Chichen Itza and it looks like the crowning head of, uh, of a child coming down the birth canal. So whatever it is that we become beyond time, if you will, after that date, uh, begins in a series of revolutions and start points that have to do with the ending of the calendar. But this also means that by November 6th, um, not only do we, do we come to another 90-degree angle, but then we go through the tail of the comet. Now, one other thing, too, is that if this comet has a tail that's about 240,000 miles long, then that means that after the comet moves across the sun, uh, we're going to be looking at the sun through the tail, all the debris and all the gunk that this comet has drawn with it. So there's some very weird apocalyptic things here. I mean, there are, there are people that are talking about three days of darkness. There are people that are talking about looking at the sun, that the sun will become as... Uh, uh, we would look at it as through a sackcloth of ashes, if you will. Well... All of these prophetic things all play right in to what this comet is doing and the fact that we are going to be looking at this comet through, uh, looking through the sun through the sackcloth of ashes, if you will, through the tail of the comet. So it starts getting really scary when you start putting kind of the biblical connotations into this. Um, you know, Howard Camping gave his whole thing about uh, 
May 21st being the rapture and everybody's going to be raptured. But right. I think everybody now, just October. focused on that. I'm sorry, what? Now he says October. Well, no, it wasn't now he said October. Look, I'm not a big fan of Harold Camping, but what he said was is that this rapture would occur on May 21st and that we would have these five months of disaster and that the culmination of his of his prophecy would be October 21st, which just so happens to be within a week of the ending of end date of the calendar. Um, but one last thing here I want to throw in before you know we kind of talk about this is that between November 11th, let's let's call it November 11th and November 15th, if you go way way back, and you know this was back when I knew Terrence McKenna. He lived over in Half Moon Bay, over the hill. I grew up in uh, Atherton, up in Northern California, and Terrence McKenna. Uh, and I remember going back through my archives from an old uh, sightings interview uh, that was done with Terrence in 1991. Terrence came up with a Macintosh program that for some reason they don't do anymore that was called Time Wave Zero. And what Terrence did was that he tried running the Chinese uh, predictive system called the I Ching through, and by running the I Ching through a computer, what he discovered was that when the I Ching began under Emperor Win, which was something like, something like, I don't know, 5140 BC or something like that, whenever this Chinese system was invented, that the that the 64 hexagrams and the 60-year cycles that are all divided into 12s, each one of them has like a Fibonacci wave. In other words, everything goes outward in a spiral. And he found that the I Ching actually ended on, uh, Dece- not only ended on December 21st of 2012, but he also pointed out, this was back in 1991, he said that by his calculations, the tipping point for human civilization would be December 3rd of 2011. And the December 3rd of 2011 was unique and significant because it began the last spiral in the Fibonacci wave helix of the I Ching because it's exactly 385 days, not 365, but 385 days from December 3rd, 2011 to December 12th of 2012, which is exactly... 13 moons, if you will, of a lunar calendar. So 385 days would be the 13-moon lunar Mayan calendar, and that this would be the beginning of the end. And all of these mathematicians that were working off the Time Wave Zero software have these different graphs, called the Shelley graph, the, uh, uh, the, Wu-Tang, the, uh, uh, the Wu-Ta graph, uh, the Shiliac graph, all of these mathematical graphs that have been used to predict what they call novelty waves or spikes. Um, that then uh, uh, Cliff High, using his half-past-human WebBot or Web Spiders program, then programmed all the linguistic data from the Internet and everything else, only to find that the tipping point for human civilization just so happens to occur sometime between November 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, in that week about mid-November, that some major, major tipping point, either economically, politically, or socially, occurs and once again, this is within about two weeks of Terence McKenna's tipping point for human civilization. So everything's coming down right now. Everything is within the next 60-plus days. Let's call it 90 days tops. There are going to be earth-shattering things occurring that are going to change us, that are going to change the way we think and live on this planet. And it's all coming down as the preparation into 2012. Because then once you get into 2012, then you've got... On May 20th, 
you have the uh, uh, you have the total solar eclipse, which begins in southern Japan, which is interesting because I have this whole theory about the six chakras, the six chakras of the planet, that the base root chakra is lost at Tibet, the prostate ovarian chakra is the Great Pyramid in Cairo, Egypt, the solar plexus is uh, Stonehenge, England, uh, the heart is Machu Picchu, the throat is Los Angeles, is the communications vortex, and then the third eye. Uh, is a temple called Tenri City, which is outside of Osaka, Japan. So it's interesting that the May 20th total solar eclipse begins in Osaka, Japan, right over Tenri City, over the sixth chakra, goes across the Pacific Ocean, and then the penumbra of the eclipse, in other words, where it's going to last about nine minutes or so, enters the United States, and the actual penumbra of the eclipse is going to be over Mount Shasta in Northern California. So this is going to be on May 20th, and there's been a crop circle that appeared back in 2005 that shows a Mayan calendar, what's called the Tzolkan Wheel, that actually shows that eclipse as a partial eclipse because that's where it would actually be viewed by the Mayans from the Yucatan. And then there's 16 flanges uh, on the bottom of this eclipse representing 16 days because then 16 days later you have the most important date in the Mayan calendar, which is June 8th of 2012, which is the Venus transit, where Venus, the goddess, the female incarnation of Quetzalcoatl, uh, where the Venus transit occurred on 6-6 of 2000, uh, 2004, the idea is that when Venus transits the sun, that it opened a, a door, a gateway, if you will, into the feminine, into the right-hand side of the brain, the quantum side of the brain, the part of the brain that does not function in linear time the part of the brain that thinks in terms of symbols, pictures, uh, archetypes, music, dance, uh, fluidic movement, as opposed to the left-hand side of the brain, which is all numbers. It's 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's the, it's, the, it's the judgment side of the brain that thinks in terms of linear time, mathematics, and geometry. To the right-hand side of the brain, it's the crazy lady in the purple moo you know, running through the field of poppies. And to that part of the brain, 2 plus 2 equals purple. It doesn't even understand up, down, right, left, and center. It's the part of the brain that's literally designed for use in outer space when we eventually evolve into using it and starting using most of our brain. So if that's the case, the door opened to that part of the brain in 2004, and now there's going to be a seal, if you will. In other words, the knowledge has somehow been imparted. Now it's going to start to you know, ooze into us, if you will. And um, on that particular date, which is June 8th of 2012, somehow, someway, that's, that Venus transit is now responsible for the return of the female aspect or the twin flame of the Christ of Quetzalcoatl, the completion of the DNA helix. And then, of course, you have the... Um, uh, so there's something that occurs in that 16-day period from May 20th, which is, by the way, the unique, the, the, what's unique about the May 20th eclipse in 2012 is for the first time in, human, in 26,000 years, uh, or 25,940 and change, you are going to have a direct alignment of the constellation of the Pleiades with the sun and the moon directly over over Chichen Itza in uh, in Mexico and all of the various Mayan Mayan uh, Mayan temples and pyramids. And by the way, we have a uh, on uh, November fourth. Uh, I'm leading a tour uh, with Dr. Susan Shumsky, uh, and you can go to MayanStargate.com, MayanStargate.com, MayanStargate.com uh, for anybody that's interested in actually going on our tour to Mexico to go view these uh, these magnificent monuments in Mexico and Guatemala. So we've got a tour going on there, uh, and we're going to be there for the 11-11 Stargate activation. The full moon is on November 10th, 
and we're going to be there on 11-11 and probably get back. I think we get back on the 14th just in time for the end of the world. So, uh, <laughs> so there you go. Okay, huh, I'm done talking now. What's what do you what do you ladies have to say? <laughs> What's happening November 14th, the end of the world? Uh, well, November 14th, in that period of time, you know, November 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, that period is when all of these various mathematical graphs talk about this tipping point. Now, the one last thing I'll impart here is that is that Terence McKenna. Terence McKenna saw history, he said when he, when he worked with the I Ching, the I Ching deals in what they call novelty waves. In other words, novel things begin to occur. We just went through about a 30-day novelty wave in April and May where we saw, um, what do we see? Very novel things. We saw Donald Trump uh, questioning Obama's birth certificate. We saw Obama presenting you know, yet another fake birth certificate to the public, his long-form birth certificate. Then we saw uh, 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 Prince William and uh, Kate Middleton get married, and like, I don't know, two billion people watched the wedding on April 30th, which I think is very interesting because that's the same day that Eva Braun and Hitler got married. Uh, and uh, uh, also at the same time, you have the death of, uh, or the supposed, once again, the death, the ninth time that they've now killed um, Osama bin Laden. So, you know, maybe he's <laughs> finally really, really dead this time. He's like one of those uh, one of those villains in an action movie that has to be like stabbed, shot, fall off a building, uh, burned, and then run over by a steamroller, and then uh, marched over by the USC marching band. <laughs> so that's you know, so Osama bin Laden supposedly finally dies, but it represents this novelty wave or spike. So what Terrence said, because I kept asking him, well, what's going to happen in, in 2012? What's the big deal? And Terrence said, look, if you look at all of these novelty waves, if you look at um, uh, the fall of the Roman Empire, the, the Muslim Golden Age in Cordoba, Spain, uh, the, uh, the, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, the First World War, the Second World War, the Black Death, the bubonic plague, all of these various things, what he called novelty waves or spikes. He says that whatever happens in 2012, on December 21st of 2012, is greater than all of those novelty spikes and waves combined. Combined and that it drops off into infinity. And I said, well, what, what could that be? And he said, the only thing I can think of is that, and this is Terrence talking now, and remember, Terrence was out of his mind most of the time. He never wanted to eat the desserts at Terrence's house because he was like, I mean, he was so whacked on shrooms, you know, lightning came out of his eyes. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he said that, uh, he said, I think, I think we learned how to travel through time. I think it's time travel. It's the only thing that I can think of that would... Um, you know that would give us this whole aspect of of an end of time as we know it. Now, of course, when you do remote viewing and you do psychic stuff like like you ladies do, um, you know you get an idea that 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 time is a very limiting concept. That that linear time does not really exist. When you get into the right hand side of the brain, the quantum side of the brain, you begin to un- understand that time, instead of running in a straight line, is sort of a big timey wimey wibbly wobbly ball it's more like a like an interconnecting it's more like a gordian knot sort of or like a big ball of twine that the cat's gotten to and you've tried to you know kind of rewrap up and uh, you know that that's what time is that time is constantly going backwards and forwards and in on itself and just in the space of a 40 minute conversation we've gone to the future we've gone to the past we've gone to all these different places so we're constantly bouncing you know we have we're planning this for tomorrow oh i forgot about this oh there's that that happened yesterday so our brains are constantly rolling back and forth through time, but it's you know who knows? I mean, do we just? It's going to another dimension. Gravity stop working. I'm sorry. 
we just go into another dimension. It's it seems that way. I mean, it's just again, it's it is, you know, let's let's hope that's what occurs. And at the same time, what we're seeing is we're also seeing an active, um, I mean, multi-trillion-dollar project on behalf of these global elites, if you will, that I think directly connects back to. Barack Obama getting the the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm going to joke with that on uh, on December 9th of 2010, when all the I'm sorry 2009 when all these world leaders were in Oslo, Norway, and suddenly this weird spiral appeared in the sky. And after that spiral, which in, in my opinion, I think they were using what's called Eisenkat, which is the which is the Norwegian or should I say Scandinavian version of the Heart Program to actually create a black hole in space for about nine minutes or so to in order to bleed energy off the sun. Because a similar phenomenon was seen in 2003 as the sun was going through cycle 23, and after this weird spiral appeared next to the sun, um, the sun suddenly just went completely dead. It just went completely quiet. So since then, that's when Magnetic North, which was marching very happily and merrily, uh, you know, the mighty Marvel Marching Society as it was moving up towards true north. Suddenly, uh, the magnetic pole in 2010, I guess it listened to a little bit too much Fox News and Glenn Beck or something because it took a hard right turn, and it started marching towards Siberia, which means, you know, in 40 years, Santa Claus is going to be living in Russia, and then it's just going to wreck Christmas for everybody. But the idea is that now it's about 140 miles uh, east of where it was before when it was marching north. So now, apparently, we don't have to worry about any kind of polar shift, if you will, because now there has been. Not only only have have there been uh, two major polar shifts, one was actually with um, uh, with the Chile earthquake when the earth shifted by shifted by about seven inches, I think, during the during that, that quake, and actually the rotational frequency of the planet was actually was actually sped up uh, by, I don't know, fractions of a second. It, it was a lot, considering, you know, the size of the Earth. And with uh, Japan, uh, the axis of the Earth was shifted again by six and a half inches, uh, and again, the rotational speed of the planet was actually sped up by, once again, fractions of a second, but a great deal in geological time, uh, which is exactly another thing they were worried about, that the actual Earth was slowing and then if the Earth actually slowed, that the gravitational field was going to begin to relax, and then that would bring in asteroids and meteors and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I'm seeing all these things getting fixed. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm out here kind of on the edge just looking at the bigger picture, and you know, my latest book, uh, Sands of Time, uh, was all about these government guys that have access to this, you know, this, gigantic, uh, uh, this gigantic technology based on everything from extraterrestrial stuff to the development of time travel to, you know, all the things that they've got. Um, and the point of the book is is that they're building some kind of planetary defense grid uh, for something very big and very bad and very nasty that apparently is on its way here. These government insiders claim after 2012 that these alignments somehow, I don't know, that something, that something very nasty is on its way here. That's what they seem to say. Of course, that could be just an excuse to spend a whole bunch of money because they need some kind of threat for us to, you know, go against. But again... If you go back to the biblical description, uh, Revelation is very much, uh, the end of time is very much a, a battle between a what appears to be a race of extraterrestrials represented by Michael and his angels that we can only presume are Nordics or Pleiadians uh, versus what they call the, the red dragon, and that Michael somehow grabs this dragon and throws him down to the ground. And this seems to be the battle 
uh, between the Pleiades, which is also played out in the in the, the superstructure in the uh, sacred geometry of the Great Pyramid, and this battle between uh, Alpha Draconis, this uh, star system which represents these, which represents Set or Seth or Sutek or the serpent gods, and this battle down through time against the children of light versus the lords of darkness, which is basically Isis and Osiris, the children of light, uh, versus the serpent gods, if you will, of you know Set, Sutek, Seth, all this, which seems to now be playing out through time. So, um, so there you go. So all these crazy things are going to be happening in the next 60 days uh, that have to do with this comet, that have to do with the alignments of the comet, that have to do with a, a, a transit of this comet between us and the sun, which is the first time I've ever seen anything like that happening in recorded history, um, along with these 90-degree angles, which every time within five days of these angles, there has been a, uh, uh, you know, a major quake. And actually, once again, it, it achieves, not only do we pass through the tail of the comet somewhere around November 6th or 7th or so, but it also achieves another, uh, some more 90-degree angles to the Earth on its way out right about the same time that these various mathematical charts and graphs are talking about some kind of tipping point for human civilization. And again, certainly for Japan, uh, that quake represented a tipping point for its civilization because now they were warned about the use of atomic energy. Uh, a lot of those, those reactors that they shut down um, in the north uh, power a great deal of Tokyo. Uh, but it, you know, who knows how long it's going to take for them to recover from that. And uh, I'm also seeing that you know, the United States is being protected, that whatever's going on, uh, is primarily to uh, cause as much damage as possible to other places other than the United States. And again, what are they worried about? The San Andreas. And one of the and the first time I pre I predicted one of my major quakes, that I continued to say that this was going to be a, a military experiment, that this was to relieve pressure on the San Andreas Fault. That and I was working with an, uh, an earthquake group at the time. Uh, we were doing meditations on this quake, and and about six months in advance. When I said that this quake was going to be up around Palmdale, this was the Northridge quake now, mind you, back in uh, uh, 90, uh, 94, uh, January of 94. Um, I said this was, this was going to be a military experiment, that this was going to be some kind of controlled role that was going to be to relieve the pressure on the San Andreas Fault, which, it, which then, when it happened, and again, I got all this flack because I think I missed the exact day of the quake by like seven days, because I said it was going to be somewhere around January 10th, and the quake actually began on the 10th and then ruptured on the 17th uh, of, of that year. But I was jumping up and down in my newsletter because the military was announcing that they were doing something called Project Shockwave, and that Shockwave was a scientific project between the U.S. Navy and the United States Geological Survey. And when you understand that the U.S. Navy uh, is not a charitable, altruistic organization, that they do things as weapons, that their primary function is to kill people, uh, in this case, they did Project Shockwave where they buried a bunch of bombs in a big triangle. And this is on the front page of the LA Times. I mean, they announced it all over the place where they then ignited, the, they, they set off these bombs uh, yeah, to, to, to create a holographic pattern to actually study the, uh, uh, to actually study the, the earthquake patterns, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the fault line patterns of, uh, of California. And then, of course, October, November, December, January, three months later was when the Northridge quake triggered. So, again, that was just number one. Now it's easy for them to do. I mean, the minute we went into Afghanistan, we were using sonics. You just put these three thumpers on the ground, and where the three thumper, thumpers actually, actually uh, the it goes out omnidirectionally, but where the three thumpers then intersect, uh, there was all kinds of earthquakes in Afghanistan that was then collapsing the cave systems uh, that the Afghan, Afghan rebels had used to fight off the Russians, 
that they were not, which of course now they're using to fight off the Americans. So um, it gets weirder and weirder still because they're and, and again, who knows if Elenin is artificial or not? Certainly, that's the that's the strangest, wackiest out there theory about this whole deal. But you can't exactly deny photographs photographs that are being put up by NASA that have this thing as a triangular object that is now interacting actively with the sun. Apparently, at the same time it's moving close to the sun, these coronal mass ejections are coming out. And, you know, take a look at it. It's on Richard Hoagland's Facebook page. Take a look at the Ellen and shots, and, you know, tell me what you think, because it doesn't look like it has a tail, and it looks <laughs> like a triangle, and it's got what looks like a power, uh, a glowing power source in the center. Could be a trick of the light. Could be just that particular photo. Could be something weird. But I always think it's suspicious when... NASA never tells you how big something is, never gives you any information on something. And if this thing is just six miles across and it's a big, dirty snowball, like they're trying to claim most comets are, um, this thing plowed right through the asteroid field without blinking an eye. You would think that in a cosmic game of Frogger, uh, this thing would have gone through the asteroid field and hit something or you know, been broken up or you know, did it just so happen to miss everything in the asteroid field when it went through it? So it didn't slow it down, it didn't break it up, it didn't do anything, and it went right, you know, went right through the asteroid field for the better part of, I don't know, four days, I think. So when you do your remote, when you do your remote viewing, do you see anything beyond 2012? Oh yeah, no, there's all kinds of things beyond 2012. I think that uh, no way, uh, yeah, way beyond. I mean, I've gone to a hundred years out. Um, I mean, my probably the biggest thing I did. Um, and I learned how to do this when I was living in Nepal. I lived in a monastery in Nepal for about a year. And um, uh, we did a lot of, I lived with the black hat monks, the Karmakegi black hat monks there. And they did a lot of things that had to do with past lives. They, they, they work a lot with previous existences. And, um, you know, to them it's kind of a big tragedy if you were anybody famous in a past life. Because, you know, you know, like, oh, I was Cleopatra. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Because you drag all that karma with you. Uh, uh, you know, and now there's all there's more people hunting for you. There's more people with bills that need to be paid. You know, as you go further down the line. So I asked uh, Rinpoche Lob Saint Tundun, who was the High Lama of the monastery. Uh, I said, well, if we can go in the past through this, why can't we go in the future? And he says, you know, who says you can't? And he says it's all the same time stream. So I mean, I did some experiments where I went to future lives and existences. And I went to, I actually did this, I finally did uh, kind of a, what we call a Tibetan soul transference, where you can actually trade places with your future self, as sort of a more advanced version of a post-life regression, as I guess you would call a, a uh, or instead of a past-life regression, it's I guess you would call a post-life progression. So 100 years from now, in what was approximately the year, I think, 20... 94 because I think I did this I did this in in uh in uh in 1994 actually before like 700 people at the Anaheim Learning Light Foundation um the calendars have changed I'll just tell you you know what happens is that is that uh I think I think the timeline has shifted somewhat but at that time um uh, I incarnate as one of my own grandchildren apparently a, a a man by the name of Vajra Morton uh who lives in an area called New Omaha which was formerly Nebraska, uh, and he's a, uh, an architect, and they work a lot with uh, stones and jewels, and you know everybody wears this kind of white, this white clothing uh, that they call electrosilk. It's some kind of um, very advanced kind of clothing that that, that helps the uh, 
extend the life and, and um, uh, you know, helps with disease and other things. Um, but he gave some very specific information about this timeline. He, he, he talked about flooding in the Midwest of the United States. He, he said that there would be a, uh, an attack by, uh, by the Islamic Jihad, is what he called it, uh, in 2001. This was predicted in 94, where he said that there would be attacks uh, on the United States in 2001 by the Islamic Jihad. This would lead to a series of wars and conflicts in the Middle East, which would then bankrupt the United States uh, by 2010, is what he said, that by 2012, uh, that there would be uh, great electromagnetic shifts in the uh, uh, in the uh, uh, in the harmony, if you will, of the planet. Um, you know, it, it gets a little dire after that. He then says somewhere between 2018, kind of beginning in Australia and and in Asia, uh, and then finally culminating with a final great war between the United States and China somewhere somewhere between 2018 and 2025. He wasn't clear. It's like the conflict goes on for quite some time. But that there was a massive invasion of the of that China invades the United States uh, through the Pacific Northwest uh, in that period of time. We win the war, uh, but we turn China into a big smoking hole in the ground, and uh, the actual war is finally won in Colorado, which is then known as the Plateau of Judgment. At that time, that the federal capital would be moved, that there would be attacks on Washington D.C., that the federal capital would be moved to Denver, Colorado. Uh, I learned later that actually Denver, Colorado is the secondary federal capital. It is interesting that even though the attacks on, well, there, there was an attack in Washington, D.C. Obviously, you had, you had an anthrax attack on the post office. You had the uh, uh, supposedly the airplane that hit the Pentagon, so that would count as attacks. But that uh, the federal government is moving. They've moved the National Security Agency to Denver. They've moved the EPA to Denver. They're moving the IRS to Denver. So all of these major government agencies are all moving to Denver as the secondary capital. The fact that they built the Denver airport there, and it goes 20 levels uh, below the airport, you know, it's all top secret stuff, and it all interconnects with, with NORAD and Strategic Air Command and all the underground bases and facilities in that entire area. Um, basically, most of the state of Nevada is a gigantic, probably 80% of the state is a gigantic underground base. Uh, and with Area 51, is just the tip of it there. Um, the United we States... Only have- we okay, only have, have one. We only have one minute left. So, okay. you want to talk about your radio show and give out your website? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, the radio show is actually uh, uh, um, AmericanFreedomRadio.com. I'm on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, from seven to nine p.m. That's uh, Pacific time, and of course, uh, ten to midnight East Coast time. Uh, SeanDavidMorton.com is the website. We're working on. Actually, the show is called Strange Universe uh, with your host, me, uh, Sean David Morton. Uh, uh, we're the glass plus to the windows of your soul, so I hope you guys tune in. Uh, but that's from 7 to 9, Monday, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Friday. You can hear me talk about all kinds of fun things. Uh, we've got uh, Kerry Cassidy's conference coming up uh, pretty soon. We've got the Conscious Life Expo coming up October 1st. Uh, we've got the uh, the New York New Life Expo actually coming up on October 19, 20, 21st. So check out the website, SeanDavidMorton.com. Uh, check out uh, American Freedom Radio. And you can listen in on the website worldwide. We already have over 100,000 listeners, and I've only been on like two weeks. So uh, it's been a great thing. Great, great, great. Well, we thank you so much for being with us. You could go on for two hours, I'm sure. Well, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Paula. Easy show for you girls today, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you got to get coffee and eat cereal. Well, I just blabbed away. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. What an honor. You ladies are the absolute best. And thank you for working for the enlightenment of all sentient beings. And thank you. And have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sean. Bye.
You're listening to Sean David Morton. <laughs> 